Week three, deciding what to wear. Last week, we came up to a point in the story of David, just to catch you up thus far. David has been proven a seeker of God's own heart. And because he was seeking God's heart as a shepherd boy, um, someone who worked the fields 24 hours, seven day a week, slept with the sheep, sheared the sheep, um, fought, fought, uh, fought off bears and, and lions and all these things, he has proven faithful. And because of that, there came a point in time where the, the, the first king of Israel, King Saul, was proven unfaithful in many commands that God had given. Um, God was asking Saul to destroy the Amalekites. And if you remember, Saul captured the king and he kept some of the cattle and he was disobeying God. And then later on, again, um, uh, just uh, over and over, we keep seeing Saul's disobedience. And God looked at the prophet Samuel, the one that uh, Saul went to to hear the voice of God. Samuel would speak the, the plans of God as a prophet to Saul. Um, and one day, Samuel came to Saul because God had told Samuel and said, I'm sorry I ever made that man the king. So he said, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to go to this man named Jesse. And one of those sons that he has, I'm going to anoint as the king of Israel. And he goes to Bethlehem. He finds Jesse. And all of these sons are good looking and, and buff and beautiful eyes and beautiful hair, kind of like our keyboard player, Tyler. Uh, just one of those good looking dudes. Uh, that, that's kind of weird, but it's okay. Um, I love you. Uh, he's all embarrassed over there. But um, good-looking guys, and they all seemed to be like they would be a good fit for a warrior king. Um, but none of them were fitting the bill. And God says, Samuel, I don't want you to look at, based off their outward appearance, I want you to look at what's going in with the things you can't see. So he looks at all the sons, and he says, man, we're not finding anyone. And, and then he, he's like, Jesse, you got any more sons? And he's like, well, I got this one dude. He's in the fields. You want me to get him? And he says, yeah. He brings David, and then the Bible describes David. He he looks exactly the same. He's a good-looking guy. He's got uh, beautiful eyes, and, and he's strong, and he's fit. I mean, he's all the same qualities, but the differentiator was that he was seeking God's heart. So Samuel anointed David as the king, and what we discussed was even though at that moment he was anointed as king, that did not mean that he started to walk in the footsteps of a king because there's so many times we mix up anointed with automatic, and just because you're anointed to be something doesn't mean that's automatically what you are. There's so many of you in here that are anointed to be leaders, but you're not a leader because you haven't been faithful in leading the very small insignificant things you've been put over. There's so many of you that have been called to have tons of money. You're anointed for it, but you don't have it because you can't even manage $50. Yeah, I'm preaching. There's some of you anointed to be great musicians, whether you're on stage or not, but we haven't walked into it because we're not being faithful in the practice. David, in those fields, practiced something all the time. If you know what the instrument's name was called, shout it out. A harp. He perfected the harp playing. And eventually, one day, he was able to play the harp for King Saul because King Saul came up to this place where he was, it says, God gave him a tormenting spirit. And it was so bad that he said, I need a musician to calm my nerves because when music plays, the spirit goes. So he said, I want the best musician in the whole flipping region. And they said, we know somebody. It's that shepherd boy. His name's David. That dude can play the harp like no one's business. So the man that was anointed to replace him, David replacing Saul, 
got the favor out of the practice and out of the managing and out of the faithfulness of him being a harp player and a shepherd, he was able to play the harp for the man that he would later replace. And he got favor in it. And then we got to a place, because David was so faithful uh, in his harp playing, he gained favor with King Saul. King Saul loved his harp playing so much, he was like, dude, can you just stay here? And, he, and even though David stayed, he was still tending the, the sheep of his father. And even though he was in the palace, and he was anointed to be king, and even though he was going to be in this new position, he was still faithful in what he was still called to manage, which was a dirty job with sheep that he had to live with. And one day, managing that job, Jesse said, hey, your brothers by the way, who don't like you, they're fighting at the front line with King Saul, and I need you to send them some bread and some cheese. Someone shout amen if you're all about the bread and the cheese. Yeah, I, 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 I love, is it charcuterie boards is what they call them? I, that's like my favorite thing, charcuterie, charcuterie boards, that restaurant. I love that stuff. But he was like, hey, I want you to take the bread, and I want you to take the cheese, take it to the front line. He gets to the front line, and he gets to speak in the, the midst of King Saul, all because he's faithful, bringing a blessing to people that he don't like. Like learning a skill in a field even though he was anointed to be a king that's where he was going but, he, but the Bible does not say be faithful in where you're going it says be faithful in your today and I'll take care of where you're going tomorrow because of his faithfulness and his stewardship he is at the front lines of the army and while he's feeding the, the, the brothers the, the bread and the cheese and doing what he's supposed to do he was so faithful even when he left the sheep he made sure someone was tending the sheep in his absence I was going to preach a whole message about this and I was speaking to someone about this this week but I'm just going to throw a nugget out there when you're called to leave you cannot leave until you have raised up someone to manage what you're leaving behind Let me say that again. When you're called to go into another season, you cannot go into the other season until you have prepared someone to replace you in your prior season. Think about the way you raise your kids. What is successful parenting? A child being able to live on its own, manage its money, and raise a family without you having to be there so that when you pass, you have no worry. Apply that to everything. David did, didn't get one up one day and said, oh, I'm going to go to the front line of the army and I'm going to talk to King Saul. I don't know what this thing is, but he, 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 didn't, he didn't do that. He said, well, before I go, even though I get that assignment, would you take care of these sheep that I love so much? So he goes, he gets to the front of the line, and the Philistines and the Israelites are at it again, and all of a sudden, this Philistine champion called Goliath, is taunting them. And this is the taunt starting in 1 Samuel 17, verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, we'll be your slaves. If I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. That's the taunt of Goliath. 
Show me what you got. If I lose, I'll serve you. If you lose, you serve me. So David, at the front line, is hearing this taunt. And when he starts hearing the taunts of of Goliath, look at David's response in 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Pause. Earlier in the scripture, we find out what he gets. Saul says, if I can get one guy to defeat Goliath, he'll get a wife and he'll get free taxes. Amen. So David comes up, he says, what will he get for, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? The Israelites were the people of God. And David, who has proven faithful in small things, who was seeking after God, David was so in love and so wrapped up in the arms of God that he did not focus on Goliath's size. He did not focus on the threat. He did not focus on what Goliath was proven in. It says Goliath was a Philistine champion. That means he's had many successful victories and battles. David did not care what his reputation was. He didn't care that Goliath was a nine-foot-tall giant. He didn't care that all the army, including the flipping king himself, was scared. All David said was, who is he to talk to us like that, that we are the people of God? And there's so many of us who have made so many compromises because we allow voices in our life that defy God and defy truth. And we've got to get to a place like David where we are so wrapped up in God that when lies come in and taunts come in that defy your God, we have enough endurance and confidence and strength to say, who the heck are you to to question who am I? I am a son or daughter of God. You have no right, that voice, to be in my life. The Bible talks about the power of voices. In James 3, verses 3 through 6, it says, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. A small rudder. For those of you who don't know what the bit, it's a little piece of metal in a horse. You jerk it one way, it don't matter how big that horse is, it goes where you take it. A small rudder makes a huge ship turn whenever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Even though everything is coming against the ship, that small thing will make sure it goes in the, in the direction. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. If you don't like the direction your life is going in, stop looking everywhere and look where this Bible just said. Your tongue steers your direction. What you speak is where you're going. If all you speak is I'm miserable and I'm tired and I'm lonely, where do you think you're headed toward? You're you're headed toward miserable, lonely, and tired places. If you start speaking life, 
in the no matter what the winds look like. Remember what the scripture says, small rudder steers the ship, even though winds come against it. So the wind may look like I'm not getting anywhere, but you don't speak you're not getting anywhere. Well, I just don't know how my relationship's going because it just seems no matter what I do, it seems like that. Don't speak. Speak where you want to go. Speak where you want your finances to go. Speak where you want your marriage to go. Speak where you want that relationship with your mommy and daddy to go. Speak where you want your kids to be. Stop talking about how your kids, my kids ain't got no will. My kids are lazy. Stop speaking that crap. Speak things over them because your tongue is a fire set on itself by the flames of hell. If you speak curses, they will walk into curses because mommy and daddy, you steer the ship. Am I preaching? Your, what you say has great force. Goliath did not come out fighting. Goliath, Goliath did not come out proving how great he was. He started with one weapon, a taunt. You ain't got nothing on me. Look what I am. I'm this, I'm that. He was taunting them. What they didn't understand, the taunts of Goliath were a lie because Goliath was claiming that he was more powerful than the God that led them to that point. God had led the Israelites to this place to fight against the army and the taunts of a giant caused them to doubt everything and they became fearful and they started to run away and they were panicking saying, let's find somebody. All because of a taunt out of a giant. And there's so many of us, we're getting these taunts from the enemy. You ain't got nothing, you're never going to be nothing, you're a failure, you're not this, you're not that, you're not that. And we're starting to back up and we're living our life scared, just like King Saul and his army. And we're not willing to walk forward because we're believing taunts over truth. David was so wrapped up in God that he did not entertain wearing that truth as his reality. He heard something from a giant, from an opposing force, from a strong thing, from a proven victorious giant. He heard one lie. And he says, why are we even allowing him to talk? Let's look at it again, 1 Samuel 17, 26. David asked a soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine, ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to even defy the armies of the living God? In other words, hold up. Let's remember who we are. We are the army of God. Who the heck do you think is going to win this fight? 1 John 3, verse 1 reminds us, see how very much our Father loves us, that he calls us his children. That's what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize it. They don't recognize we're God's children because they don't know him. Knowing him being a term of intimacy with the Father. People speak against your future 
because they don't know who you belong to. The enemy speaks against your future because he might know who God is, but he no longer knows in an intimate way the Father. And he says, I'm going to taunt you and give you a thought that makes you doubt who you are. I'm going to make you doubt that you, a child of God, can win. The truth is that you cannot fail. Let me say that. You can not fail. Well, Kyle, I failed last week. You may have had a trip. You may have had a stumble. But God says those who rest in me won't fall short. Those who rest in me will not fail. If you lean on my strength and not on your own understanding and you walk by faith and not by your sight because your mind, because I bought you, because you are my adopted son or daughter, you are a son or daughter of God and God's children leaning on God will never lose. David got it because of his intimacy with the Father. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing the good news about Christ. If you lack faith in moving forward, you need to check what have you been wearing in your mind. If you've been wearing truth, faith is the fruit. If you've been wearing taunts, you'll have no faith. Well, Kyle, I just don't have any faith anymore that this is going to happen because you're wearing taunts as your truth instead of good news as your truth. Why hasn't God showed up? God's always been. God always will be. God is here. But God's got nothing to do with what you decide to wear. What are you going to wear on your mind? Truth or taunts? Is this speaking to anybody? Speaking of deciding what to wear, let's take a look at Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. And the shaft of the spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. The head of the spear was 15 pounds and his coat of bronze metal was 125 pounds. The protection he wore was a human being's weight. This dude was big. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. A bronze helmet, a bronze coat of mail, that's, that's the chain link looking thing you see on knights or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Bronze leg armor, a bronze javelin, and a shield in front of him. I touched on it a little bit last week. We did a whole series about the temple of God. And the truth we saw in the temple of God was this. 
inside the presence of God, the holy place, everything was made of gold. The golden table of showbread, the golden lampstand, the golden altar of incense, the ark of the covenant, the lid that covered it, gold. Everything inside the presence of God was gold. Everything in the courtyard, everything outside of where the presence of God dwelled was made of one metal, bronze. The bronze laver, the bronze altar of sacrifice. Where they dealt with their sin was a metal of bronze that was not worthy to be in the presence of the living God. Sin and uncleanliness were dealt with in the midst of bronze metal. And the thing that these people needed to understand was if they were going to walk into the place they were destined to, they needed to get the place they were destined to go was the presence of God and the truth of his promises. And if they were going to go to the presence of God, into the holy place, into the promise, they were going to have to deal with their uncleanliness. And it came in the form of a giant wearing bronze to deal with their stuff. What was, what was the stuff they were dealing with? They obviously had forgotten relationship with God because they were doubting how strong he was that they were running away from the taunts of a giant. They had to deal with what was going on in their heart. They were so far away from him that they were unclean. It's no surprise that the thing that stood between them and victory was a giant dressed in bronze that could not stand in the presence of God. Y'all never heard that, have you? Me either. Isn't it cool how God ties all these things together? <laughs> they couldn't see it. Why couldn't they see truth? Let's take a skip back to the beginning of, of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Is this okay so far? The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you're going to die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. He was giving her a false statement in a true way. Because Satan was referring to her flesh not dying. But he knew that she would die in her spirit. What does the Bible say? He disguises himself as an angel of light. He's going to tell a half-truth. What did we talk about last week? Partial obedience is what? disobedience he says you're not going to die God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and that's true we're going to talk about that in a second you'll be like God you'll know good and you'll know evil again the knowing was a term of intimacy Satan is saying right now you know the concept of what's good and evil. Listen to God and listen to God. 
But if you eat of it, you're going to know what listening to God tastes like, and you're going to know what not listening to God tastes like. You're going to know both sides of it. So he says, you'll, you'll be just like him. Well, the woman was convinced. And this is where preachers get it wrong. Well, the woman ate from the tree. It's all the woman's fault. Look what happens. She, <coughs> she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took the fruit and ate it. But that is not when she realized and saw evil. This is when. She gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. The godly order of a marriage is that the husband covers the wife. The fact of the matter is, husbands, you will not be affected wholly of what you do not allow. Their eyes were open because he came into an agreement with a lie that was in her mind. You're recovering for a reason. When the enemy lies to your wife, you have the authoritative power to cut the lie and never let it affect your marriage. That has nothing to do with the message, but there you go. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Someone shout cover. When... You're removed from eldership. <laughs> when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. The moment their natural eyes were opened was the same moment that their spiritual eyes were closed. And because all they could see was physical, they decided to grab what they were familiar with in the garden to do what? Cover themselves. So they sewed together fig leaves. If you go to the original Hebrew text, it says that the leaves they sewed together made an apron. When it says they covered themselves, the original text, they covered and they made the leaves in the form of an apron. You know what the word apron meant? Armor. They made armor to cover themselves. They decided to wear and protect themselves with something that they could see because they could no longer see truth with their spiritual eyes. They focused on everything they knew in the physical. And they said, let's make some protection because the true protection is no longer what we see. The only protection we see now, let's sew together these leaves and make some armor. They covered themselves with what was familiar. They used to be familiar with the presence of God, and they walked around naked with no shame. The moment their spiritual eyes were closed, they ran from that 
and said, let's cover with something in the physical because now we have shame. They cover themselves with what was There are so many times we decide to wear what's familiar to protect us. We start to get in our feelings, so we wear denial. We start to get uncomfortable, so we wear a drink or a smoke. We start to get anxious and depressed, so we wear isolation. We start to doubt abilities, so we wear laziness and we wear giving up. The moment that Saul said, David, you can fight Goliath, Saul did automatically, because he was so scared, did one thing in verse 38. Saul gave David his own armor, bronze medal and a bronze coat of mail. Saul's armor was made of the exact same metal that Goliath was wearing. And Saul knew Goliath in a very special way. If you go back earlier when Saul was first introduced into the book of 1 Samuel, it describes Saul as having a height that was a whole head uh, a head's height taller than all the people. So he was already bigger, he was already more powerful, and he had the bronze medal. Goliath comes up, nine foot tall dude, he's taller than them, he's bigger than them, and he's wearing the medal. Saul identified with the advantage that Goliath had that Saul saw, that Saul saw with his physical eyes. Bronze medal and strength and height. So because Saul was only seeing with physical eyes, he said, I'm going to cover David in what I'm familiar with that protects me. And Saul was no longer seeing that God was his protector. All he saw was, I'm going to put bronze over you because this dude is going to kill you. Because Saul loved David at this point. He was his heart player. He was, he was the one that soothed him so that he would not be tormented by a spirit. So he said, David, put on the bronze. When verse 39, it says, David, put it on. He strapped the sword over it. He took a step or two to see what it was like. <clears throat> he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. I'm not familiar with what you're putting on me to fight this giant, to fight this lie, to fight this taunt. So David took them off. <clears throat> David was such a seeker of God that what he was familiar with was not something that he looked upon with his physical eyes. The only thing that he was familiar with was the strength of his God. David never had to put on bronze to fight off a, a lion or a bear that came at his sheep. We read two weeks ago, how did David kill the lion and the bear? He grabbed the lion and the bear by the jaw with his bare hands, put it on the ground, and beat it with a club. He didn't need bronze. 
He didn't need armor. He didn't need a javelin that was, had a 15-pound spearhead. All he needed was the favor of God that he proved with loyalty and kindness. <clears throat> David did not see bronze. He did not see strength. He did not see size. All he saw was a lie. You cannot stand against God's people. And when Saul put on all this stuff, David said, I'm rejecting because I'm not familiar with that. He said, I'm not used to them, and I'm taking them off. So what was David's armor? Verse 40. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream. <coughs> he put them in a shepherd's bag. That's all he's used to. And then he armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling. He started to cross the valley to fight the Philistine. He didn't put on anything physical. He put on what he was familiar with. Because all he saw was with his spiritual eyes. I've got favor in God. I am his child. And I don't care what this dude is saying to me. I'm not wearing that taunt as my truth. I'm wearing my familiarity with God as my truth. Ephesians 6.11 says this, put on all of God's what? Armor. So that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Not some of them, all of them. Notice it does not say you don't need armor. This is not a sermon speaking against protection. It's speaking against the type of protection that you're depending on. Armor is armor. Metal is metal. Goliath and Saul had metal protection that was bronze. The presence of God had protection that was what? Gold. Metal is metal. Armor is armor. But the meaning and the type are different. God says... Don't put on armor that has resulted from your physical seeing. Put on armor resulting from what you see spiritually because the other stuff will fade away and it won't last and it won't protect you from nothing. It will be so unfamiliar to what you're supposed to walk in, it will only cause you failure. Put on armor with your spiritual eyes. When God looked at Adam and Eve and saw they had made, made armor out of fig leaves, he said, where have you gone? Why? Because they put on something that prevented them from walking in his presence. Just like Goliath and Saul were depending on a metal that could not stand in his presence. Are y'all following this? God's put on armor resulting from what you see spiritually. Why? Verse 12. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're fighting against rulers and authorities of an unseen world. If we're fighting against unseen things, why do we protect ourselves with things we can see? Against powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. You have got to decide what you're going to wear. Are you going to be comfortable in what's, you've got to be comfortable in what you're familiar with. 
The reason Saul turned to bronze is because that's all Saul knew. The reason David said, I'm not wearing that because all David knew was the armor of God, which had nothing to do with anything physical. All David had was five rocks, a sling, and a shepherd's staff. He said, I don't need your protection. I don't need this medal. I'm going to go fight with what I'm familiar with. Saul and the armies were familiar with size and strength, and they wore that as a reality, and it resulted in one thing, fear. Everything they, that they protected themselves in a physical way, it caused them to be scared and run. David was familiar with something that caused him to be bold and confident and say, who the heck does this guy think he is to say he can beat God's people? I'm not having it. I'll fight him. He was not going to wear Goliath's taunts as his reality. And he wasn't going to dare put on a medal that he was not familiar with. He said, I'm going to wear what my God tells me to wear. What does God tell you to wear? Verse 13. Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Not fearful, not scared. You'll be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up a shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God says, stop relying on everything in your life that you think is going to protect you. Whether it be a drink or a smoke or bad advice from a friend or bad corrupt things that you stand around, a, a book that you get lost in trying to get away from, from people and isolate even though God says, I am present when two or more gather. Let me tell you, if you're depressed, don't isolate because you're going to get more depressed. It'll happen, the healing will happen quicker if you put on this armor. What you see, I don't want to be around people, so I'm going to isolate. What you don't see, even though I don't want to be around them, I'm going to get around them because I'm going to stand on what I'm familiar with, which is the truth of God, the right standing of God, the peace I have in Jesus, the faith I have that he is true, the knowledge of my salvation, and the word of God, which is the knowledge that will get me through anything. I'm no longer depending on my books or your advice or this or this or that. I am putting on the armor of a relationship with God that no matter what comes my way, something that comes against my destiny will not have the ability to speak. David became more familiar with that truth than any of this other stuff. And then David picked up five stones. Why five stones? Come back next week. He got his shepherd's staff and he got his sling and he walked right up to Goliath. Y'all want to know what David said? Do y'all want to know what David said? Is, is, are y'all just in this so much? That is, this, is this, okay. Verse 41. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him. David didn't even have a shield bearer. Big old nine foot tall Goliath with bronze had to have someone protecting his behind. 
he was sneering in contempt with the ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? He cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, I'll give, you, I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Goliath said, who do you think you are? I'm big, I'm bad, I, I got all this stuff. Look at me, look at me, look at me. David replied to the Philistine, you come with me with your sword and your spear and your javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of armies of Israel whom you've defiled. Today, he doesn't say, I'll take you down. He does not give himself credit. He does not list his accolades. He does not list his strength. He does not talk about his favor. He does not talk about what he has come against. He says one thing, today, the Lord will conquer you. And then, I'll kill you and cut your head off. I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. In other words, everything I do will give glory to his name. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he'll give you to us. Everything David was wearing in his truth, his righteousness, his peace in Jesus, his faith, his knowledge of salvation, and the word of God made him so bold that he looked at a giant and a shield bearer and said, I'm going to cut your head off and God's going to get the glory. And in verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. I love that because I get this picture of like David and then like nine foot Goliath. Uh, David was probably more, more like this, but it, 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 even if David was, you know, my height, nine feet taller, and Goliath is like walking toward him, and David's not like, all right, come on, boy. He, 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 he's, not, he's not doing his thing. He, he's like, oh, you coming at me? I, I, I take you down. He, he ran right at him. <laughs> and he reached into his bag. He, take, he took out a stone. He hurled it with a sling. He hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Now here's where Children's Church gets it wrong. David did not kill Goliath with a stone. The stone made him stumble to the ground. But he still had one more thing to do. And there are so many of us that come against the enemy and make our enemy stumble when we stand on truth, but we don't follow through with what we're supposed to do next. Because David did not say, in the name of God, I'm going to kill you with a stone. What did he say? I'm going to cut your head off. He slung the stone. It caused Goliath to fall. And it says David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. He had no sword. Why didn't he have a sword if he was going to cut off the enemy's head? Think about this for a second. <coughs> David is up at Goliath. And he says, I'm wearing what I'm familiar with. None of your armor. I don't even have a weapon. But I'm going to cut your head off. Can you imagine what Goliath was thinking? With what? That shepherd's staff and that sling? David didn't know what he was going to do. David didn't have any strategy other than, my God told me that I'm going to kill you. He 
He slings the stone because all he's depending on is the armor of God. Truth, righteousness, the word, faith. I don't have a sword, but I got the faith. I'm going to cut your head off. Kyle, I don't have the right words to say, but I know I'm not going to let the enemy stand in my house anymore. Kyle, I don't know the Bible like you do, but I do know I'm, I'm going to speak over my house. Can I just be honest with you? You don't need to know any scriptures to speak of your house. You're a child of God. Your word is his word. Just speak of your house in the name of Jesus. No enemies coming in this household. You don't have to quote John 3.16. Because the people in John 3.16 wasn't quoting nothing but what they heard from him. He says, I'm a child of God. And even though I don't know how I'm going to do it, I'm going to cut your head off. So when he fell, he had no sword in 51. David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used his sword, Goliath's sword, to kill Goliath. And he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and they ran. Because everything they were depending on was what they could see with their own eyes. A nine-foot giant taunting an army who was scared of them. And one boy had such faith that the moment he cut the head off of the giant with no weapon of his own, the army said, holy crap, we're getting out of Dodge. There are so many times we walk forward in our faith, in truth, in righteousness, wearing the armor of God, that our enemies stumble at truth. But there's also so many times we never finish the job and cut the head off. And you wonder why the thing you struggle with keeps on getting up and rearing its head. Because it's not enough to speak truth. It's not enough to pray. You've got to walk forward in faith even though you don't feel it, even though it's not familiar. You've got to walk forward in faith and truth and your righteousness and your knowledge that you are a son or daughter and you have got to cut it off. And, you know, there's so many times we talk about there are so many, there's so many demons and thousands and thousands and there's so much spiritual warfare in Savannah and all this stuff is coming against us. But look what happened. When David was faithful in one defeat, the whole army ran. Could it be that all the, the, the thing that's going to cause our breakthrough in this church and in Savannah and Pooler and wherever we're going to be, it's simply the triumph over one battle that causes the rest of them to flee saying, those people are strong. Isaiah 60, 12, I will use a tiny family, family and make them a mighty army. How? We're faithful in the small. And we're deciding what to wear. We're not going to wear a fake praise. We're not going to wear a fake look. We're not going to wear fake faith. We're not going to make, we're not going to wear empty prayers. We're not going to wear anything that's not us. We are going to wear what God calls us to wear. We have faith. We're right with God. And we're moving forward no matter what the enemy looks like. And when the enemy stumbles, we're not just going to praise over the stumble. We're not going to praise until its head is cut off. Because the enemy has no right to speak against the people of God. I'm never going to get a raise. That taunt has no right to be in your life. I'm never going to get a better job. That taunt has no reason to be in your life. My marriage is never going to be restored. That taunt has no right to be. Every time you hear a taunt, who are you? 
that you think you're even allowed to speak to my mind. This is not yours. I am a child of God. And I am not going to allow you to cause me to back up. I'm not going to allow you to cause me to doubt. I'm going to walk in my purpose. I'm going to put on my faith and my truth and my right standing and my knowledge and all these things. And I am going to walk forward no matter what it looks like, no matter how the strong winds are. I'm not going to speak a wrong thing. I am going to decide what I'm wearing. And it's not what I'm familiar with. It's what my God says. And I'm going to wear the faith that no matter what happens to me, I will not lose and my enemy will fall. If you believe that, stand to your feet and shout to God right now.